welcome to And It's Writing, a live stream and podcast where two writers have a few drinks and some laughs while we revise our old writing and discuss writing-related topics. I'm Avery Ames, and I write adult fantasy, and right now what I'm working on is nothing! <laughs> I finished my draft, I yeeted it off to my agent, and I'm taking a couple days to just not work on writing, and then I will be doing some beta reading. And what I am what I am reading currently is I just finished Invisible Life of Addie LaRue last night. Yay. It was very good. I cried a little bit, oh. but I cried everything. So <laughs> that's not really <laughs> sure. But I just uh I just love her prose. I just love how lyrical it is. Hi, I'm TC and uh, I'm a speculative adult fiction writer. And I also just finished my book on Monday and then immediately afterwards got COVID. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am a little off tonight, but I have arrived and we are going to get, we are going to get through this and then I'm going to sleep. As for what I'm reading, uh, the last time I did read, it was, it was, <laughs> it was the fucking goldfinch by <laughs> goddamn Donna Tart. <laughs> it's a running joke. It's a running joke. I'm I'm never done with the book, and then when I finish it, I just read we, it again. We should go back and see like how many of the episodes percentage has been I, the goldfinch. I think, I think I've been reading the goldfinch since we first started the podcast. <laughs> no, but for real, I've been. It's fine. I've been reading other books. It's just that one I have read in particular. <laughs> But yes, uh, today we'll be discussing the iceberg theory or the world building technique of implying there's more world than the reader. The, there is more world the reader isn't seeing. <laughs> like an iceberg. Yes. If you didn't know that about icebergs, it's pretty cool. <laughs> Look up a picture of an iceberg and you will see that there is more iceberg under the ocean than there is over the ocean. <laughs> there is. So we're going to go back. We'll go on to discussion of the drinks. I found a drink that was like an old classic cocktail. I could not find the origin of it. It's called an iceberg, but it's pretty much vodka with an anise flavored liqueur just like splashed into it. And I'm like, that seems like a lot. So we're going to start with those <laughs> flavors and build something a little more accessible. So it's actually vodka, just a tiny dash of absinthe, lemon juice, simple syrup, a teeny tiny pinch of salt for like ocean water to go with the iceberg theme. And then you top it off with seltzer to kind of like make those flavors a little more subtle. And I am so sad that I cannot be drinking it today. No. I am drinking water. <laughs> yes, please do. Because <laughs> That's about the only thing that I can drink aside from hot anything. Yes. Water, <laughs> maybe like an herbal tea. That's... <laughs> Lots of herbal teas. Yeah. I have, I've, I've, I've ingested so much Manuka honey. Like, I should, at this point, I should be living in Australia. Like I, I have, I am becoming Australia. You're going to become point, a so. bee. <laughs> yeah, I suppose I am. Okay, so you kind of mentioned what iceberg theory was. Um, so a little more extended definition is that what you want to do as a writer is hint at the fact that there is more world than you're showing them without. You don't need to tell every detail to give the impression that this world is real and expansive. And this goes particularly for speculative fiction, sci-fi fantasy, but it also is important in historical fiction. And it's also important in contemporary. Yeah, I was about to say, like, I think I think there's a, you know, that some people think that, you know, just because you're writing contemporary fiction or something that takes place on Earth that you don't have to do world building. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah, you do, buddy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you totally have to do world building. You have to do world building wherever you are because everybody sees the world differently. Mm -hmm. Your character's perspective is the world, um, whether that's on planet Earth or planet Zynga Gohoya. <laughs> <laughs> um you know, it's the same basic principles, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, if you're writing contemporary, no matter where in the world you're writing your story, you're going to have readers that aren't from there, that aren't familiar with the culture there and, you know, just every part of that world and its minutiae. So you need to, like, build that world and make it feel real. Right. I, I do want to, like, mm -hmm. just preface this, oh, yeah. this whole thing um, by saying, you know, this is why you can pick up a book. The, the iceberg 
is why you can pick up any book that is written for an audience, any audience, like a genre, but like a, a contemporary fiction or, you know, even an old book like a, a, a Charles Darwin, or not Charles Darwin. <laughs> wow. What the hell? Like, hello, COVID. Uh, we're not talking about Finches right now. We're talking about Charles Dickens, <laughs> not Charles Darwin. Yeah, you can pick up a Dickens and still feel transported. And that is because you're painting a picture. So you can pick up a book of where a character's life is baseball and suddenly know, you know, a lot about, not necessarily a lot about baseball, but just you can feel that world if it is written well. The same as you can feel a world that's written well, like Game of Thrones. Like you can feel all this different stuff going on in that culture. You can feel all the stuff about the baseball culture and the baseball book. The world building is where that happens. That's how you make the magic appear. You want your book to be able to be read, read by a wide audience. Mm-hmm. Most of us. Some of us don't want it. That's fine. <laughs> you don't have to want it. <laughs> but even if you're writing for a more narrow audience, you still want them to feel like your world breathe, that it's a place yeah. to the, to explore. It's like the equivalent of an expansive open world game versus, you know, Nintendo Super Mario Brothers game <laughs> where it's a little two dimensional, <laughs> exactly. you go left and right. So, yeah, um, that's kind of what it is. First, we'll kind of go over maybe some like quick and dirty tricks that we use to do this. One of my quick and dirty tricks is that I use, I write speculative, I write fantasy. So, in a fantasy world, I make holidays. And I reference holidays and they don't do like, it'll just be reference. It'll be like, oh, you know, I, I got him a gift for Dawn's Light Day or something like that, where it's like, yeah. oh, there's there's this other holiday where that people give gifts and that's all you ever hear about it. But you know that they have a calendar and they have these other holidays yeah. that aren't direct relations to our holidays. And I'd say that's like in a, in a deep fan, like a, a big fantasy book. That is it. A, a pretty typical and acceptable way to to sort of, you know, start to build up that that system of belief that you're in a different world. Wow! Again, this is the COVID fog, everybody. <laughs> uh, I don't know words today. Um, That's okay. Yeah, uh, words. I agree. That is a good way to do it. <laughs> yeah, I think there's actually like a few like just throw in like and don't make it sound too jargony, but throw in like a phrase or a word or something. That kind of indicates there's there's more in this area and like three there are three main areas that are really easy that are religion history and geography so you can refer to like a place be like oh her dress was in you know the whatever style and this once again goes for contemporary too you can be like oh that was like that's how people dress in the big city we don't dress like that around here <laughs> you know even things like that um so that can be kind of a geography thing history just offhanded reference like an event that happened yeah and so my my theory on so just out in the open i'm gonna come out of the closet here i also write fantasy um i have i i do have a um a a, a a book that takes place in another world i have several that i work on here and there and i also write a lot of books on earth and i guess having done that the biggest thing that i have noticed really works is to not refer do all those things but don't do it any more than you would on earth for instance yes because I think one of the biggest things that I found is just treat treat every book like you're writing on Earth, mm-hmm. because I think what a lot of people do, especially if you're um, a, a budding fantasy writer, is you tend to front load a lot of stuff. Yeah, people get very nervous that the reader is not gonna click with where you're at or what you're doing. If it's on a different world, you need to suddenly front load the entire book with all these riddles and and holidays and and things and sayings and dialects and all this stuff and you you do and you you can but don't like you don't want to push your reader out because you also want to you want to give them something to relate to the reader relates to a character right and your character is living in their world and i always found that if if i am writing an opening sentence to a, a new world put it side like treat it like it's earth and then see what happens and then add maybe one or two little things in there just to you know yeah. since it's the first paragraph you, you're brightening up the world you're showing them this is a different world mm-hmm. 
but you don't need to do it literally. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, because again, you can, you can follow that baseball player around pretty easily just by knowing what you know up here about everything. Mm-hmm. So definitely that's my biggest like quick and dirty trick. Yeah. My quick and dirty trick is to pretend like I'm riding earth for a minute. And, and then just, because I think that that, I don't know, there's just something about it that makes everything feel very real mm-hmm. when you're starting to read the actual fantasy parts. You're like, well, I'm on a world that's not much different than earth. Yeah. Because deep down worlds really aren't that much different. And I think to keep that in mind is very wise. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I mentioned, like, even the the quick and dirty, you know, areas that I was talking about kind of, you know, do it offhandedly because you don't want to be like, oh, this is let's explain this. But just like the same way in a conversation, you would be talking to someone and be like, you know, are you going out to the barbecue? Nah, I don't really celebrate whatever. You know, it's just like, you know, or you know what I mean? It's just like a little conversation and you don't have to explain like what it is how it works. Yeah. You just throw it in a conversation the same way it would actually be in a conversation with people who knew what it meant. Right. And there that is a fine line to tread of being like, you know the reader doesn't really know what this is, but your characters do. Yeah. And not confusing the reader by throwing too many of those things at them at once. Yeah. But also not sound not hammering them over the head with a bunch of info dumps. <laughs> right. And I think, you know, there's a lot of pressure to do that when you're writing fantasy Mm -hmm. like because you're like how how do i do this in a way that's you know makes my book seem unique because when you're writing fantasy you kind of get this imposter syndrome like oh my world is just like everybody else's it's not different this is campy this is tropey this is dumb and you start judging yourself and and hating yourself for it a little bit and because you're just focusing on sort of front-loading all these little things that you know think you think they make your world different but i think Try to calm down. <laughs> and I think that you'll find if you front load a little less, you'll feel less that way. Because you'll be, you instead of trying to force the reader to believe, hey, you're in my world now. Hey, you're in my world now. Like, you're letting sort of things, uh, you're letting things sort of like just naturally happen. And mm-hmm. when that natural kind of um, stepping into happens, the tropes don't really matter. The, you know... The campiness does it, the campiness goes away if you treat it more naturally. Now, if you start front loading it with the the sort of buys stuck in this, you know, and you start actually world building, like writing the detail on the page, like this is there's a mountain in the distance that's got all these clouds over, it, and the clouds are red every night, and that kind of stuff. You can do that, and please do if it's very important to your story, but you don't need to do it for a long time. Mm-hmm. I think the more you do it, the more campy it seems and the tropier it seems. Let something happen in that space. When you're introducing your fantasy story, have something happening, like action going on in the world, because that sort of disallows you from doing that thing where you're just sort of describing your world. Mm -hmm. Action sort of forces you to to take care of the character first, which is good. Yeah. Action brings it back into mm-hmm. narration and out of wiki article. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you're reading part of your book and any of it starts to feel like a wiki article for more <laughs> than like a sentence or two, that's when it might be like, let's throw some action in here. <laughs> which kind of leads us to one of the points that I had kind of in our document here, which is the definitely when drafting, info dump all you want. <laughs> Because I have to do that in my draft. You got to info dump like fuck when you're drafting. Yeah. You got to get that stuff down. Yeah. Honestly. You're just like vomiting all that world out onto the page. You're like, oh, yeah. And this happened. And then this happened. And then this is the religion. You got to. Yeah. Yeah. Go go back to listen to the last episode of Draft Zero. It was way funnier than this one because (laughs) I was actually healthy. This is go listen to that one and then come to this one and then then you write that shit in there. Yeah. Like you you get it all down and you because the thing is, the more you know about your world, the more is gonna come out on the page without you even trying. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to describe, especially if you've never done it. Yeah. Because you're like, you know, how the fuck what how how does the reader know more about the world when I say less? Well, it's very hard to explain <laughs> well people are pretty intuitive readers are usually pretty smart and they're able to put together pieces so if you say something about you know some you say like this happened before 
the treaty of whatever. And that's it. That's all you have to say. And people know, oh, well, it's an old thing. And people know about some treaty. And the treaty doesn't have to actually matter, but it makes the world feel bigger. Yep. So, and sometimes you need to know what all of those are. And sometimes you don't need to know everything about all of them. It kind of depends. <laughs> yep. Yep. So while you are doing all this world building and all the building of the stuff in your head, there's a few ways that I, you know, I kind of wanted us to to mention that are some good ways to store all of that because you will probably need to refer to it back at some point. <laughs> um, so there's a couple good tools in Scrivener. You can have a bunch of files saved kind of in your Scrivener file. You can have images you can have like reference files kind of all saved in there so you can have like maps and things like that as you need to we've talked about aeon timeline before uh, especially if you're building like a history for your world that can be really important yeah and just to like sort of like build off of this like getting all of if you have a big fantasy world that you want to get out on the page like barf it out in something like a document or a Scrivener or World Anvil and, you know, answer a bunch of questions for yourself and get into it and write all this stuff and build the iceberg that's underneath the water. Because the thing is, the more you write it down, the less likely you will be to go and vomit it on a, on the yeah. final draft. And then like be start like, cause you know, the, when you get excited about a new world, the first thing you want to <laughs> do is write about it. Of course. You want to tell everybody. You want to tell everybody. So like you got to you got to write it down first and you got to build the iceberg first before you start hiding stuff from people because the thing is you're you're also you're building your own knowledge but you're also desensitizing yourself to talking about your world because I I find that the people who don't let themselves write about their world to themselves tend to start doing that thing where they front load the book mm -hmm. with all this information about all this stuff you need to know about this crazy sword and this mountain and the, <laughs> and the red clouds, the red clouds. <laughs> and they just, they're doing that because they're excited. Like they, yeah. and you know, cause like, it's hard as a writer, you get very excited about these things. You, you want to show everybody, but writing it down for yourself can help you control yeah. <laughs> what you're letting out of your sphere because unfortunately <laughs> a lot of the time no one cares as much about your world as you do so you only want to tell them the stuff that makes that world work mm -hmm. like it, it that makes it feel like a world yeah and sometimes that stuff isn't important to plot i'm definitely not saying only put stuff that's important to plot just don't don't overdo yeah. it. I'm trying to figure out a better way to explain what overdoing it is, but my brain cells <laughs> are in prisons. Well, I had kind of a related thought, which is when you were talking about how nobody cares about your world as much as you do. That is true until you start putting characters in it. And what you want to do is introduce people to yeah, your yeah. world through your characters mm. slowly. You got to trickle it in there. It's like boiling the frog. Yep. You got to like, because eventually they are going to love your world. But if you just like yep. come up and be like, and the red clouds and, and the mountain and the holidays and this happened <laughs> and then that happened, you don't want to be like, you don't want to be, I, okay, I'm, I'm going to show my age here. But there was an old bit on Saturday Night Live that was Chris Farley interviewing people. And every time he'd like get really like excited and be like, do you remember when this happened and this happened and this happened in the movie and then this happened? That was really cool. You don't want to have like that level of of excitement to like the general public at first yes someone in chat said excite because you do get excited this is also where you gotta, like you gotta control yeah. yourself man get a hold of yourself this is also where having good critique partners and or writing friends or even just like a supportive partner even if they a supportive partner supportive friend somebody even if they're not a reader like getting someone who will let you sit there and like go and this and this and they can be like, uh-huh, uh-huh, I'm very excited for you can be helpful because it does. It gets that like initial like, ah, out of your system. You got to get all the A's out of your body. <laughs> yes, all the A's. Also, um, you were talking about like just vomiting it all out and it just kind of reminds me of like, so recently I've been doing a very big like cleaning of an office that was full of boxes of crap. Um, but what the first thing I had to do was like, just yank everything out of the boxes and it's just laying everywhere. And the world building- I know what you're looking at. Yeah, the world building is you doing that. You're laying out all of the stuff. And then like 
the iceberg is you taking the things and putting them in cabinets and like storage bins and where they go. And then like telling the story as you walking someone through the house and being like, and this cabinet is where I keep my, you know, whatever. And then like you give them glimpses of things instead of them walking in and just seeing like all the everything on the floor at once. Exactly. You gotta empty out all the shit. Yeah. <laughs> Like you gotta look at the shit yeah. and decide what to do with the shit. You have to pull all the shit out. You gotta decide what to take off the floor and put in the bookshelf and what to take to Salvation Army because you don't want it anymore. Yes. <laughs> That's very true. That's yeah, what do you put on display? And what do you put into storage or donate? And that's your world building. You just vomit out of the world building. Then you're like, oh, this part's good. This part's going to go in the book. Yeah. And this part is, I know it's there, but do they need to see it? No. We're just going to put it in the basement in a tub where I will pretend I'm going to do something with it someday. <laughs> just, don't, just don't look at that stuff. We put that in the big plastic blue tote. Yeah. just never see it. <laughs> yep. We kind of talked about how much is too much over... Well, we talked about overwhelming people with too much. How much is too much? Or also, adversely, how much is too little so that it gets, like, confusing for the reader? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It's a hard question to answer because the thing is... Okay, so when I first started writing fantasy, mm -hmm. I did the thing where I talked a lot about the clouds and the world and how awesome it was that I built it and look at all these really cool things my world can do. And I did a lot of that. And I didn't do a lot of research either, so it was super bad. Like, research, like, I didn't know what a jungle environment looked like. It was all kinds of weird <laughs> stuff. Um, but anyway, like, you know, and, and what helped most was i hate to say this but it's reading guys like the thing is it's really hard like if you write fantasy you must read fantasy so that you can learn how to sort of do it right because the thing is is you can really clog the reading arteries um with too much information about your world but also you don't want to suffocate yourself and mm -hmm. i think that the best way to see what the balance looks like is to read a lot, unfortunately, and read stuff by people that are doing the age range that you want to write. Yeah. Because I, I see a lot of people want to write adult fantasy, but then they read a lot of YA fantasy, uh, and then they try to write adult, and it doesn't yeah. really work. It's just, it's a different voice pacing, world building. It's just, it's got different conventions. Yeah, it does. It does. And when I was first learning how to world build, I, I mean, I read Brandon Sanderson, which is kind of YA, but I also supplemented that with a lot of George R. R. Martin. Mm -hmm. I know, you know, those books are the world building and them is so sweet. And it happens in a world that's very similar to Earth, mm -hmm. but there's also a lot of fantastic elements and you can sort of, you know, make notes to yourself about what when you if you watch the show first it's actually kind of cool because you can watch the show and you can know all the stuff and then you can pick up the book and you'd be like he did the thing there that's where he introduced that so let me emulate that and try it myself you start to emulate a lot at first and then you sort of get used to it and i hate to say you know read that'll make it better and that'll teach you balance because it seems like a real cop-out thing to say but like honestly it's it's fucking true, guys. Like, it's really true. I actually have a very good recommendation, especially if you write sci-fi or if you read any sci-fi. I will admit, I read some sci-fi, not a whole lot. So I still liked this as someone who only dabbles in sci-fi. But there is a novella. It's kind of like a series of novellas called Binti by Neri Okorafor. They introduce a lot of really unique and interesting world building in the sci-fi world. But it's done with a very deft hand. There's just so many little things and there's like alien species that are described in a way that's you know exactly what they are, but it's not described to you in a very prescriptive way. And because it's a novella, it's shorter. So it's kind of a good way to like study world building without digging into a, you know, 400,000 word tome. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good point. That's a a good idea. Um another one um that i really love 
Uh, I have two recommendations because mm-hmm. um, I think recommendations for this is, is a good thing mm-hmm. to do. Um, Brandon Sanderson's The Emperor's Soul is a novella. I don't even know mm-hmm. if it's considered a novella. It's about 23,000 words thereabouts. That's on the low end of novella, and yeah. It is so good. And he does... Um, it shows he shows you how to show a realistic situation and build a magic system right there on the page in twenty thousand words. And it is the best. It is one of the best novellas, short stories I've ever written, uh, read. I love it. Um, another um, one that does a really good job on page one um, is called "The Elephant's Graveyard," Barsk by mm. Lawrence M. Shane, um, who I really got to get to come on this podcast. Um, <laughs> the world building in that first chapter, like you open that up and you read that first page, you know exactly where you are, but it takes place in a world nowhere near here. And the, the character's not even human. Um, It's an elephant. And it is just, it is, it is the coolest thing being able to enjoy what somebody else has done into even just the first chapter. You can learn a lot from reading first chapters. I have read so many first chapters and just, really checking out how they're doing it. You don't have to get involved in the whole book. You don't even have to like the idea of the whole book. Just read a bunch of first chapters and really study the way they're, they're all doing it. You're, you will find that your world building on page one gets a lot better because nobody knows it better than the pros, right? And I do want to also recommend if you are writing in any sort of contemporary genre, one of the places that I know that can be good to get some world building right off the bat is in the urban fantasy genre specifically certain ones that are set in like very specific locations and cities because they show you what it's like to get an impression because urban fantasy specifically not just contemporary fantasy urban fantasy the setting is a character so those ones tend to open with a lot of setting but through character and action because they tend to be very fast-paced so they don't have time to stop and be like tell you about the world they they have to work it in in this iceberg sort of way but even mm-hmm. if it is in chicago in cincinnati in you know rural carolina or whatever they they still have to do this in a way that's very efficient it's very efficient how they do this you know hints of world building for their settings and if yeah and if you are interested in if you are writing an urban fantasy uh do read Read N.K. Jemison's mm-hmm. The City We Became. That is some wild, good world building. Like, she makes you feel like you know New York City. But by the time you are done with that book, you feel like you are from New York City. Like, but it's a very fantasy-heavy book. Yeah. Uh, that book is wild. <laughs> like, what a ride. That is that is um, a very unusual, very cool urban fantasy that I also, yeah, like, read it if you're writing urban fantasy and you want to see a good way to world build something that's on earth and still make it uh, entertaining and new that's a good way to do it but just a note that like even if your book takes place on earth and you're world building earth um not everybody in this world knows everything um your knowledge about the space you are writing for instance my next book's going to take place in it takes place in labrador uh newfoundland and like to be able to bring that to life, I'm going to have to just look at history and keep, it's going to be pretty basic history for someone who reads history about Newfoundland. But like, for instance, most of my readers are not going to know anything about Newfoundland. And, and like you, like you transport that reader there, even though it is taking place on earth and you don't need to come up with crazy tricks to make people know things. If you're writing about, you know, if you're keeping your world building in just earth, you can just, you know, people aren't going to know. So it's going to be exciting either way. People don't know everything. So just put in good research material. Yeah. Sorry for talking in a circle. Wow. This, oh, no, that's fine. Just this brain fog. Is- <laughs> it was a good circle. It was a happy circle. Hill. It's a fun circle. It's a merry-go-round. We. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm so dizzy. <laughs> Uh, kind of a related anecdote. We're both part of a writer's group chat that has members kind of scattered throughout. There's some in the UK, some in the US, some elsewhere in Europe. And every once in a while, something will come up and half of us are like, wait, what? <laughs> and we have to explain. Yeah. And one of them was the conversation about lemonade and how in America, lemonade is a very different thing than it is in Europe. Is it? Uh-huh. 
might think I missed that conversation. In in the United States, it's basically lemon, sugar, and water. If it's the good stuff, it's like smashed up whole lemons and sugar and water. In the UK, it's basically Sprite or Sierra Mist. It's like a sparkling lemon lime kind of y thing. I've never had it, so I don't know, but it's it's clo- a lot closer to like a Sprite. And what we call lemonade, they call like still lemonade or it's it's still something because it's not sparkling. But yeah, it was just one of those things. And it but it's just different names for different for the same things. And so like knowing those things about your world building, even if it's contemporary, is gonna make it feel lived in. It's also gonna make you not look bad if people from that area Albergine. Someone in chat mentioned Albergine. And that's another one because Albergine is eggplant. And there's a eggplant. Yeah, there's one for like zucchini or something too. I don't remember. But let's use let's use aubergine as a as a, as a as an example here real quick. as a case study okay, so like let's say let's say that you pick up a book that's written that was written a hundred years ago by some british guy and you start reading and someone is standing in a kitchen cooking an aubergine and there's this conversation going on but in the middle of the conversation this character is cooking an aubergine you won't see the, the the author go into detail about what the fuck an aubergine is because they're just going to assume you're going to either know or you're just going to have to deal with context clues. You know, as an as an American, we're just going to have to be like, I don't know what a fucking aubergine is. And you know what? Sometimes <laughs> when you're writing fantasy, that's the thing. Like, you don't have to always explain. Like, just call it a cattywampus and let the reader wonder what the fuck that is. Like, you don't need to explain everything, though you should have a reason for things. Because if you don't have a reason and it doesn't make sense, it will show. Yeah. Even if you know. <laughs> the chat mentioned that courgette is zucchini. And that's correct. I the reason I know aubergine and courgette is because Neopets. That's what Neopets yeah. called them because you had like paintbrushes and you could paint your pets like different vegetables. And it was aubergine and courgette. And I'm like, what the what the fuck are these? And so I went and go, had to Google it. <laughs> oh my god. So but yeah, it's that thing where, like you said, it's just it makes everything feel more lived in. Chad just said Neopets helped teach us so much. It was educational. Who knew? It's world building. It's totally fine. I don't say banana anymore. And that's Neopets' fault. I call them bananas because the Neopets land, they're called bananas. They do not have an extra A. They're just bananas. Okay. <laughs> what we're taking from this is that Neopets ruined all of us. It either educated um, or ruined us, depending on the subject matter. But I think what is important about this funny ass conversation we're having here is Neopets created the uh, is world building. You know, Neopets create gave us foods, bananas, courgettes, whatever. And we were as kids, we didn't know what the fuck a courgette was. We didn't know what aubergine was. But but we still loved the game. And we still painted our Neopets those colors and we loved bananas and like but they didn't give us anything but a word, you know? They they gave us the word, they gave us the setting, they gave us our Neopets, our characters, mm-hmm. metaphorical, you know, and and they just set us up and we enjoyed it. They they didn't have to explain those things because we started to just integrate them into our lives no matter what. And eventually we found out, oh, of course that's a freaking zucchini. Are you fucking kidding me? Like that's awesome. Like that's but that's part of world building, you know. You, you pick up, you learn new words the moment you open the page of a book. And then the more pages you read, you start being like, huh, I get it now. Like, and, and you don't need to explain all that stuff on page one. We don't need to know it's a courgette right when we first start, or a courgette is a zucchini when we first start playing Neopets. We just need to know that our pet is safe and well-fed and not crying. <laughs> Nobody knows. Actually, they probably did put it somewhere in the lore. I never knew why there was a giant omelet in the middle of the prehistoric world and you yeah. could go get free omelet. You just knew that was part of the world and you're like, oh, someone's making a giant omelet, I guess. And yeah. that's one of those things where it's just like... It hatched from a dinosaur egg. Yeah, it's like, it's there. <laughs> and so you know somebody out there's making omelets. Neopets, the world-building iceberg. Little did we know that was going to be our... But it's, you know, it's 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 real though. Like, but we didn't need to know why. Yeah, you know, and that's I think that's the the important thing to to take from this is that we didn't need to know all the reasons why, and we didn't need to know that the guy 
that made the omelets was a kidnapper. He's I don't know anything about him. Okay, I don't I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> I'm just saying that like behind every omelet, <laughs> he's a kidnapper. <laughs> Kidnapper, we don't need to know about. <laughs> I do have one question. This kind of leads into like another like question I have, which is do you handle this differently? We kind of talked about genre, but do you handle it differently in different age categories? Honestly, I don't think, yeah, I think it doesn't matter. Uh I think that everybody writes differently, but like so, but if you pick up a Brian Jock. I think it's, yes. it's, it's Brian Jacques' book, um, who is a YA author, and you put that first page next to a George R. R. Martin first page. Mm-hmm. Not only do they look very similar, because Brian Jacques is a very adult level writer for mm-hmm. ch- like for a young audience, um, but they they follow the same rules. People, yeah, the, the y- young people are smart too. Yeah, like. It, you don't have to explain everything to them. And uh, if you are writing YA, pick up the first Artemis Fowl book because, you know, that's, it's world building. Like, and you just, yeah, I don't think it's different. I, I personally don't think it's different. I think the rules are the same. I think, I think you show the same percentage of iceberg, no matter what yeah. genre. Yeah. Like you're, some of the like prose styles and stuff are going to be different depending on your genre and age category. But I think as specifically, as far as like how much of that iceberg you show, I think it's the same no matter what age yeah. reader, because yeah, I think, I think kids are a lot savvier than some adult authors like to think they are, but the good ones and the successful ones get it. Yeah, I do. I do have to agree. Like, I think there are some like, okay. So for instance, Robin Hobb kind of, does a lot of building like on the page mm-hmm. with the the you know the assassins books like uh yeah i don't think a kid would like at least not like a, an 8 year old like i think it's a lot less chance that an 8 year old's going to enjoy a robin hob <laughs> uh info dump than like a 30 year old because as a 30 year old you're like i love this writing it doesn't matter what it's <laughs> leave it alone like just let me let me read it but an eight-year-old wants to go on a freaking adventure like you know so i I also think hob gets away with it with the framing device because the framing device is that this is fitz telling the story later so you get the idea that this is like the old guy being like so back then things were different we walked to school uphill both so the fact that he's explaining walking to school uphill both ways you're like Mm -hmm. well he's He's some guy telling this story. So I think that kind of helps in that case. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I, I do think you're correct that, and I think that's more of a pacing issue than a world building issue with like the, the yeah. genre, or not genres, age categories um, and how they want the story to be paced. And I do think that Robin Hobb, even like her info dumping is more navel gazing than mm-hmm. it is setting, you know? And it's also the characters the, the, learning things because that book has yeah. a lot, th- that series has a lot of like, it's the trope of like the forgotten history. And so it's the mm-hmm. character discovering the history that's been forgotten. So it doesn't feel as info dumpy because it's not the character telling you something they already know. It's them learning a thing and you learning it inside them. Which yeah. helps. Anyway, I hope uh, I hope that my answer was appropriate. Yes. And yeah. I, I, I obviously... I'd be willing to hear another perspective on whether or not genre has anything to do with it, but I, I don't think it does. I'm with you. I, but again, I'm not perfect and I don't know a lot about that, but I, I, I feel like it doesn't. I think the same thing. I think it can depend on how many words you have can vary, which can be hard sometimes because for example, like if you're writing a thriller, your genre conventions are a lower word count. So you have to be really sparing with the details just because of word count. But I think you Mm -hmm. still are wanting to kind of show the same amount of iceberg world building, hinting at the, you know, world building. Because, you know, we mentioned about doing it in a contemporary thriller is the same way. Contemporary romance is the same way. But you do have more words to play with in something like an epic fantasy. But once again, that may just kind of come down to a pacing issue. So I think I've walked myself back in a circle as well. 
<laughs> that's all right it's uh, fine so long as you had fun walking and i'm like let me think this out i just you didn't get kidnapped by the omelet guy <laughs> let me talk and then end up in the same spot we that's fine i don't even know what's going on anymore <laughs> so uh, well while we're while uh, we're walking in circles if anybody does have questions in chat feel free to pop them in there um questions about kind of you know, it's kind of been a general world building discussion but like how you show world building without info dumping because i'm not going to name this book because i tend not to name books that we critique even though i actually ended up loving this book in the end and it's probably going to be one of my favorite reads for the year but i almost dropped it in the first chapter because of info dumps and then but I had I had agreed to do this challenge where I read 12 books that 12 friends had recommended throughout the year. And this was one of the recommendations. I was like, I'm going to finish this book. And by like chapter three, I was blazing through it. But chapter one, I was like, could have done this a little differently. <laughs> so you do have to be cautious of that and info dumping straight up front. Because if I had not agreed to finish this book, I would probably have dropped it in chapter one or two because i am the dnf queen and i will dnf a book at chapter two um <laughs> yep and Same. and i didn't and it you know the pacing picked up the that info dumpy world building dropped off it became more icebergy and it just slipped by after that but you, you want to be careful of turning off readers too soon because of that yeah um and we have a comment in chat it says, I tried to read Dune, renowned, obviously, but it was too dense and confusing for a noob. I gave up. It is very dense. And that's part of that's a, a time period thing. Um, yeah. Especially sci-fi and fantasy used to be a lot more dense. Yeah. And, and also Dune is third omniscient. So you know fucking everything about everybody's feelings and their thoughts and... Oh man, it's a lot, and and he is he is a little info dumpy, but mostly his that 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 sort of frustration is coming from the fact that you just know way too much, <laughs> which I think was part of Herbert's intention with Dune is because it is a very political book, mm -hmm. so for him it was very important that everybody know what was going on in everybody's head. I think that. When he did that, when Frank Herbert did what he did, I think that he had intention. Like he, he told himself, not everyone's going to like this book, but the people who do are going to love it. And they're going to love politics and they're going to love my desert. And I'm going to tell him, you know, and, and I think that he sort of signed a contract with himself on that one. Like not everyone's going to like the book, you know, like this is for sci-fi fans. This is... You know, this is third omniscient. I do think that you can do things like that if you have a lot of intention um, and a lot of brains. <laughs> um, Here's a fun one. There's a question in chat. I actually missed the question scrolling, but it says, the question is maybe what is an example of bad world building, but has redeeming qualities? If you can think of examples. Ah, I have an example. Okay. Ah, I have an example. Fucking. Oh, I was so mad at Netflix for this. Uh, Carnival Row on Netflix. Wait, was that that was Prime, wasn't it? I think that was Amazon. Was it? Was it Prime? Yeah, Amazon Prime. So this is Amazon's fault. Oh my god, I wanted to love Carnival Row so much. I was like, this is such a cool idea. It takes place in a in a in a, a metaphorical time period that I love. I'm super excited mm -hmm. about this. It's gonna be like fairy peaky blinders. Yes. I'm super I'm super ready. That was what it was sold as was fairy peaky blinders. Um for fairy peaky blinders. And what they did was they just they blew their entire budget shoving shit down my throat. Like and I was like like I just it just felt like they wanted to they wanted to use all their fireworks up front. Mm -hmm. And and it felt like I was being like, it felt like someone had the backside of my head and they're like, do you see this? There's fairies here. There's fairies here. And they're, and they're brains. And if you feel this, do you see, hello? Like, do you see this? That's like exactly what it felt like. And I'm like, dude, like, walk back off. Like, I, like, what is happening? And like, it would have been so much better had they just watched a few episodes of Peaky Blinders and said, you know what? We're going to do that. And they're going to have fairy wings. Like, yeah. and just 
handled it a little. It felt like somebody who ha- was like, I have a really good idea. And I'll shove it down everybody's throat. And they had never written that draft to themselves. It said, this is all the cool stuff. Okay. Get it out of your system. Now only show America what matters. Mm-hmm. He never did that. Draft. Yeah. That's, that's what it felt like. And I think that it had so much potential and I wanted mm-hmm. to like it so bad. And it was just, it just, and that's what a lot of, a lot of film does this with fantasy series where it just really feels like it's just, just trying too hard. Like for instance, the Witcher, I felt like the first episode of that first season that they did was a little too much, but then the second one, they backed off the second episode, they backed off and you're like, okay, okay. I can get into this now. Cause you're not trying to, you're not trying to like grandstand me with all this fantasy information. Yeah, one of the things that this kind of brought up for me, because I had the same reaction to Carnival Row, because you know, I talk about it. I'm trash for fairies. Oh, yeah. Anything that's fairies. And it was an interesting time period that I'd never seen fairies yeah. in. And I was just like, yes. And I was just, it was this exact same reaction for me. This actually brings up the point that questions are good to a point in the reader. Yeah. You want them to kind of go, what is up with that? It could, because that's the tension that helps keep them turning pages as long as they don't feel confused. If it's a question of yeah. like, what did happen to this character last year that makes them hate squirrels? Yeah. <laughs> I just pulled that out of my Yeah. Head. That's a really good point. I think that Carnival Row tried to answer too many questions right up front. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're doing with info dumps. Yeah. In a fantasy, you know. You're you're answering too many questions up front. Let the reader wonder. Yeah. And let them turn the page to find out, you know? It's a callback to our prologues episode. Don't answer questions that haven't been asked yet with the world building. Exactly. Yes. I, I wish we had thought about that 40 minutes ago because I could have gone on about that for a long time. Yeah. Uh, We've got a few minutes real. if you've got other thoughts. No, I mean, I just, I just think it's really yeah. important. Like, and I hope that the world hears that like that that is what it is it's you're answering too many questions too soon and um i had it was funny because i just pulled up a couple of my manuscripts because i was looking for things we could talk about and i think that's what it is like you're letting you're 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 putting enough stuff on the page that your reader starts to ask questions mm-hmm. and just don't answer them no don't yeah. answer them you can think of it. You can just don't do it. You know, uh, and sometimes you don't answer them, and then there, then that gives yeah. them like fodder to create fanfic and create a fandom. Oh, another author that kind of does this pretty well. Last minute recommendation um, is specifically the book that I was thinking of is Stardust by Neil Gaiman. Um, it's very fairy tale, mm-hmm. and there are just little. the main plot you learn all the information throughout the story that you need Mm -hmm. but there'll be little bits of world building thrown in there um if you've only seen the movie there's like a whole side plot with like the sky captain shakespeare and stuff and everything that's not in the book in the book there's like a one line description about how they took a lightning like a lightning catcher boat or a lightning fishing boat skyship to their next destination that's it and you're like, wait, there's there's ships that catch lightning? What does that do? What do they do it for? Yeah. Who knows? It's just, it's yep. in there as like a one line and it's said like everybody knows what it is. And they move on because it's just, it's literally like that transitionary phase of how did they get from point A to point B? I'm going to do this in two sentences. <laughs> right. And yep. there's so many of those in that book. Um, he's very, very good at giving you very small details that help you connect the dots to make the picture so that's another small details yep small details are are the key and just before we do our closing statements um i did find a book that i was working on Mm -hmm. um that uh just to share sort of what it looks like to do um world building with a fantasy book that doesn't have magic um Mm -hmm. but you want the reader to know that it's on a different world um but you're not you're not saying that it's a different world. Um, so what I did in this, it looks like um, the, in the prologue, the the character is sitting in a in a gallows, about to be killed. But what's unusual about it is that he's being tried for writing, and he's no one is there to watch him die. Um, which 
if you've ever seen like someone back in the day, they used to make a, a thing out of it. They used to make a, a show out of it and, and people would arrive and they would watch the people get hanged or get their heads lopped off. I make this scene very weird in that everyone's hiding. No one's there to watch. And you don't need to know that that's not taking place in England. Um, I don't need to tell you that just by the oddness yeah. of it. So it's just, you can be subtle about it. You don't have to have a magic, you, you know, you don't have to have something, uh, you know, something kind of forced down your throat or whatever. Like you don't, sometimes you need that, but you also can do it without it. Yeah. Just by showing some subtle, weird thing that is just a little off and your reader's like, why is everybody hiding? Yeah. This guy's about to die and his like head's on a on a chopping block. Why why is everybody hiding? I don't understand. Like yeah. and, and that's what you want to do. And I never answer that question, and not even in the chapter. And I don't even know if it's answered in the first book. Like, <laughs> you know, but like that's what anyway. Yeah. I wanted to throw that that's out. That's a good there. one. Yeah, like referencing yeah. something very that's kind of very that's nobody in that book questions, but your reader's gonna go, wait, that's not how it would work here. Yep. is is a good one so yep okay well, we've talked yep. in many circles hell yeah <laughs> now our time is up so uh yeah the next part is you oh hello hi <laughs> i'm darren <laughs> our next episode will be on april 1st on invisible lyrical and purple prose it's not a joke we're actually doing a podcast that day Yes, we are actually doing it. I thought about doing something like really weird and goofy, but I was like, we've cut, we kind of, oh, we will get weird and goofy anyway. So let's go. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, you can find everything about the podcast on anditswriting.com. Uh, look us up on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, anywhere you listen, we're there. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at and it's writing for episode updates and notifications. If you like what you're hearing, join our discord group, come hang out with us, chat, check out the website for details on how to join. And retweet us. Retweet us. Don't retweet. <laughs> soon. But yes, soon. thank you for joining us and we will see you again soon. See you guys. Bye.